The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Happy New Year 2022. I'm just a little behind. Uh, We'll be looking this morning at Colossians uh, chapter 2, verses 16 through uh, 23. So if you want to follow along as I read, Colossians 2, 16 through 22. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. A good passage we're going to dig into, and and it actually uh, kind of connects a little bit with, with New Year's, uh, and we'll, I'll, I'll help kind of draw the, the lines connecting that, but just to start off, um, quick survey question. How many of you are diligent to, to write or think about any way New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. The rest of you used to, but you're also jilted because it never worked. You just gave up, right? That's pretty much me, right? It's like, ah, it doesn't work. You know, I, I make these resolutions of how I'm going to make my life better, and it lasts you know, if I'm lucky, through the first week of January, um, maybe to the end of you know January, but never to the end of the year. They just get lost in all the busyness of life. Um, but New Year's is a time. You know, it's, it's it's it is more than just turning over the calendar. It, it it is a time to think about a fresh start. And I love that God gives us new days and new months and new years. And those are all pictures of. Starting over, we get we get a fresh start, a new a new run of life. The old has passed away, and it's just a reminder that um, it's a new season, a new year, a new time. And so it's it's good. I think it's appropriate, uh, whether you call them New Year's resolutions or goals or whatever, that we think about how are we going to make this year better, right? And I, I looked up just for fun, uh, kind of what the world or what people would suggest uh, for some New Year's resolutions. And I found one site that has 65. I'm not going to tell you all 65. But here's a couple. Like, here's some of the typical things that people think about when they look at, how can I make this next year better? Things like lose weight, of course, is a common one. Or at least eat better, whether or not I lose weight or not. Just try to eat better, less sugar or something like that. Um, 
heaven forbid, not eat less chocolate. That would be not good. Not going there. Uh, read more books, exercise more, get more rest, take a fun vacation, see the world, volunteer somewhere, stop procrastinating, <laughs> uh, get counseling. That was one of the suggestions. Um, what's interesting when you look at, at, the, at the things that people want to make New Year's resolutions about, it's really not so much about making this new year a better year, is it really comes down to how do we make ourselves a better person? Right? How do I make myself better? How do I grow? How do I improve myself uh, in, in the coming year? And that's really what our resolutions tend to be about. Um, as I said, a lot of us have kind of given up on it because, uh, because we know that just nothing ever comes of it. And so no matter how much we want to become a better person, reality is oftentimes we, we just can't seem to follow through uh, with the goals that we have, right? So, so it's not only a matter of just having the goals, um, but it's, it's having the power or the ability, the capacity to actually bring them to reality uh, beyond just you know, the first two weeks of January that we try and, and fail. Um, so... so I would like to suggest a couple things. One, that maybe one of the reasons resolutions don't work for us very well is that we, we just don't choose the right goals. Like, honestly, uh, eating less sugar, yeah, I, I probably should do that, but it's probably not actually all that important that I'm going to actually do it, right? We pick goals and we pick resolutions for things that really don't matter to us all that much. They're actually not that important. And when it comes down to it, we give up on them so easily because uh, they just really don't matter. They're not the things that will really make us truly a better person. Uh, I'm going to be the same person whether I eat lots of sugar or not, not sugar. Now, I may not live as long, right? But I'm going to be the same person whether I eat lots of chocolate or don't eat chocolate. I'm going to be the same person, right? So that's one problem. Is, is maybe we're just not picking the right goals, things that are really important enough that we will make the effort to see those things come true in our life. Right? Um, the other problem, though, is that I think a lot of times we just don't really know the secret to success. Right? We don't know how to implement these goals in a way, or with, I would say with the power to actually affect change in our life. And so we try at it, but we fail, we struggle, we, uh, we get to the end of the year and look back and we just are disappointed that we could not do the things we committed to. So, uh, so we want to know really how do we have the right kind of goals, the right things to resolve to do that really matter, that really will make us a better person, but also where does the power to accomplish these goals come from? How can we, uh, what can we do to make sure that we see these things carried out and fulfilled in our life. Um, so that's what we want to look at. And uh, this passage is not exactly about <laughs> New Year's resolutions, uh, but it is about a plan for growth. And really when we think about the right kind of New Year's resolutions, whether you call it New Year's resolutions or whatever you want to call it, really what we're talking about is uh, having a plan for spiritual growth in your life. And whether or not you have New Year's resolutions is kind of up to you. But I think you all, we all, need to have a clear plan and strategy for spiritual growth. 
Because that ultimately is what will make you a better, you and I, a better, better people, right? And if we don't have a clear plan, it's not going to happen, right? It's not going to happen unless you have a clear plan with clear goals and a clear direction for how you are going to grow spiritually. And this is certainly God's will and purpose for your life. And, and that's really what uh, Paul is wrestling with in this passage. Uh, and there were some teachers uh, in, Coloss- in Colossians. Maybe they had been part of the church, or maybe they had never been a part of the church. We're not sure. But they were uh, influencing the, the believers in Colossae that, um, that they weren't following the right plan for spiritual growth, and that these people had a better plan. But Paul warns them, uh, actually three times in, in, in this passage, that their plan is not a good plan. Uh, and we looked last, uh, well, a couple weeks ago in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, and he starts off by saying, by saying, warning them, see to it that no one takes you captive by this philosophy, this empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Don't let them take you captive by this, this, this wrong plan of spiritual growth. And then in the passage today, he gives two more warnings. He says in verse 16, Let no one pass judgment on you, specifically in regard to questions about food and drink. And we'll talk about what that means. But the, he says, Don't let them judge you. Don't let them pressure you with their expectations and judgments and criticisms about your spiritual life and your spiritual growth. And then thirdly, in verse 18, he says, let no one disqualify you. Uh, Don't let these people tell you, oh, you can't really be a real Christian. Um, And and so this this philosophy really was a plan for uh, for spiritual growth and for a measure of spiritual maturity. And uh, these people were likely uh, Jews or some form of Judaism. And uh, the church in Colossae was primarily Gentiles. And it appears that these, these Jewish um, people around the church or who had maybe been part of the church at one time were telling these people, look, you don't measure up. And primarily you don't measure up because you are not being Jewish enough. And so they were criticizing them. That is, they were passing judgment on them. They were telling them they were missing out and falling short of the standard of God's uh, spiritual maturity that uh, they should be striving for. And, he's, and they're telling them, you can't really be real Christians. You are disqualified because you guys don't measure up. You're not following our plan. And if you're not following our plan, then you can't really grow. You can't really be mature. And probably, maybe, you can't even be true Christians. You can't really know God. right? And so this, uh, these believers were feeling this great pressure to conform and to get on board with their, their plan, their program for spiritual growth and development. Uh, but Paul warns them that their plan is terrible. <laughs> he says, their plan is terrible, and it will not result in spiritual growth. Right? So, so first Paul lays out, uh, and, and he highlights, not in great detail, because they already know what the plan is. We don't, but they did, because they, they live there, right? Uh, so he highlights uh, some of the key features of their plan. And, and their plan in, in, in involved goals, like they were pursuing a certain set of goals. He said, this is your goals for spiritual growth and development. And they also had a standard or a way that they measured success. 
And then they had their own method for getting there, for how they were going to accomplish these goals. So let's look uh, as briefly as we can at, at these goals and this method, this plan of theirs, right? Um, so so what, was the, what were the goals? Well, basically, the goals were simply this, to keep the rules and traditions of Judaism. Okay, that's the goal. Uh, the way you will grow spiritually, they said, the way that you will achieve spiritual maturity is to keep the rules and commands and laws of Judaism. And uh, uh, so, so if, you, if you look in verse 16, he says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Those all are things that refer to laws and commandments in the Old Testament that God had given to the Israelites to set themselves apart as a people holy unto God. Right? They were, they were to be careful about what kinds of food they ate. There was clean food and there was unclean food. And they were to avoid unclean food like pork, uh, sadly for them, right? no ham, no pork chops. And they were to eat only clean food. Right? So, you know, when you go to eat bugs, they could eat locusts, but they couldn't eat, I don't know, caterpillars. Right? So, so, so that was the rules. That was the laws about food and drink. Also, of course, they weren't supposed to eat or drink anything that was offered to idols. And that was a big problem in, in the, the Roman world where there were a lot of pagan temples that offered food to, to the gods and then afterwards they would sell it at the market. So, so they had to be really careful about that. And then there were all the keeping of these festivals in Judaism, things like the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, the, the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, uh, the, the, the Day of Atonement were, were some of the main ones that they were to be seriously uh, engaged with and following and celebrating. And then on top of that, there's uh, every month the new moon, which was a special and sacred day for Israel. And, the, and most importantly, the Sabbaths, right? Keeping the Sabbath, worshiping God and not working and, and doing all the things that were required to keep the Sabbath day. Now, uh, if, you're, if you know much about the Bible, if you like, read the Bible some, right, you'd be saying, well, wait a minute. Weren't these things commanded by God? Uh, what's wrong with these things that Paul would say, you know, don't let people tell you to do this stuff? Like, whoa, what's, what's going on here? Like, aren't, aren't these good? Right? Didn't God command these things to Israel? Well, yes, and, and they certainly have a purpose and a place. They certainly are things that are true in the Old Testament. But a couple of observations. First, those Old Testament commandments about dietary restrictions and about clean and unclean and about the festivals, all were given exclusively to Israel, not to the whole world, right? not to the Gentiles. And the church in Galatia was a church of Gentiles. They weren't, they weren't Jewish people. They never followed Judaism. They, they were Gentiles who had come to Christ out of, um, uh, and apart from Judaism. Right? And, and God never said that these laws, these commands, were for the whole world. Okay, they were for specifically the nation the, of, of Israel, the people of God. Right? But more importantly, Paul says in verse 17... He says, the problem with these things is not that they're not from God, not that they don't have a purpose or that they're not good. But he said, you've got to understand what the purpose of these things was. 
Why did God give these rules and regulations about diet and food and these festivals and new moons and Sabbaths? He says in verse 17, God gave these things as a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Right? These are a shadow of things to come, but the fulfillment of them, the reality, the substance of it, was fulfilled when Jesus came. Right? And so that, that, this really helps us understand uh, all of the Old Testament. Is the Old Testament important and valuable? Yes, absolutely. But what is its purpose? Is its purpose as a means for us to attain godliness and holiness and spiritual maturity by being careful about what we eat and what we drink and what holidays we observe? No, that's not its purpose. Right? All of these things were given simply to point to something that was more real and more substantial and, and was the ultimate reality, and that is Christ. Right? All these things simply point people uh, and prepared the way for Jesus to come. Right? Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I was really fascinated by, by, by my shadow. Anybody did that when you were a kid? I was little, and I just thought it was magical that I had a shadow, right? And I would go out in the sun, and I would see my shadow laying out there, and I would make, you know, shaves and wave at myself, and I could control, like, what it did, right? And I just thought that was the coolest thing. And I remember, I remember thinking, I think if I ran really fast, I could escape my shadow. Right? And I'd run, and boom, it was just right there, and just stuck with me, Right? And I just thought it was the coolest and most magical thing because it was kind of like me. It was a part of me, but it kind of wasn't me, right? Uh, I could control it, and it, it, it kind of was, a, it was my shape. Like I could look at it, and I could see features about myself in that shadow. Uh, and yet it was separate from me, right? It was, it was something that was not me. Uh, well, and of course, a shadow is a, is a shape. It's, a, it's an image of something, but it's only the image of what is real, right? It's not substantial, right? It's just, it's just a faded image. The real thing was me, not my shadow, right? And, and uh, if I fell down, my shadow didn't get scraped up and cry, but I, I certainly did, right? Uh, it wasn't the real thing. It, it didn't have substance, right? My body, my flesh was the real thing. And Paul says, these things are all just pictures. They're all just images that point to the reality that's in Christ. Right? And once Christ came, uh, the real, the, the substantial, the real deal, the shadow becomes um, not all that significant or important. Right? Now it still has meaning, but it still only has meaning in as much as it points people to the understanding and right uh, right assessment of who Jesus is. That's its purpose. Right? It's not saving. It, it, don't, it doesn't grow you spiritually. Right? It, it simply gives you an understanding and knowledge of what is real in Christ. Uh, he fulfilled those things. So why hold on to the shadow when you can have the real Jesus? Right? That's what Paul's saying here. He says you don't need the shadow anymore. You've got the substance, the real person of Christ who's come for you. He was the one who was predicted to come, but he's already come. So the shadow becomes, in a sense, obsolete. Uh, and so we don't need to practice it anymore. Um, 
third warning he says to them, he says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and uh, worship of angels and details about visions. Now, uh, just a, a disclaimer here. This is one of the most complicated and difficult verses in the whole New Testament to translate. In fact, some commentators have said, really understanding this verse is, is hopelessly beyond uh, possibility. Right? So there's a, a lot of confusion about this, and I'm not going to get into all of the uh, <laughs> minute details about what, what this could or could not mean. But let me just give you one stab in the dark at it. Um, uh, what he's talking about is, is probably related to something about how this, these false teachers, these, these, these Jews, were worshiping, right? And he said that they, they insist on or they, they desire uh, asceticism, which if you're not a native English speak, speaker, uh, how do you define asceticism? Asceticism... How do you even pronounce the word, actually? <laughs> Asceticism is uh, denying things as a form of, of, of proving your goodness, right? So fasting, uh, maybe wearing very simple clothes, uh, maybe making handmade clothes rather than buying them. Um, that, that would be forms of asceticism. Abstaining from things, including uh, sexual relations in marriage, right? That you can't really worship God if you sexual relations, so you've got to abstain from that, right? That would be forms of asceticism, of denying, denying things, denying your body, uh, even its most basic needs. Uh, the word actually is literally humility. Okay, so they desire humility. And uh, not real genuine humility, but, but the idea here is um, self-abasement, like making yourself super low, uh, and it could mean perhaps things like fasting, or other kinds of self-denial. Well, why would they do this? What was the motive or the point of such such an extreme stance of fasting, not eating food at all, or eating only the most basic foods, of of avoiding sexual relationships even in marriage? Um, What was going on with that? Well, then he talks about um, the, the worship of angels. Now, this could be one of two things. One, either they were actually worshiping angels as uh, spirits who could help them. And, and we see that actually today in our, in our modern world where people um, who don't necessarily worship God will seek help from angels. And uh, they may... Uh, and, and in that sense, um, here we see, we see it happening all around us in, in Thailand... Well, they don't call them angels, they call them spirits, right? So we have spirit houses and spirit shrines to appease the spirits. Uh, Same kind of thing, right? I appease the angels, I appease the spirits, I make them happy, and they'll help me, right? So it could mean that uh, that was what was going on. But more likely, it had the idea of, of the worship of angels, meaning the kind of worship that the angels practiced in heaven. And so uh, a lot of commentators, a lot of scholars believe that what they're talking about here is that they had this idea that they could actually, in their worship, they could actually join with the angels in heaven in worshiping God. Now, there's probably some truth to this. I I hope that when we worship, that the angels join with us and our voices join together in worship. But what they were talking about was was weird. (laughs) It was weird. And it was this idea that if they humbled themselves enough, if they did away with... 
of physical pleasures and desires and, and became humble low enough, right, that somehow they could, they could enter into this state or this frame of mind where they would go into the heavens, literally, uh, in spirit, and they would worship alongside the angels. Uh, and, and one of the reasons we think that's what's going on is he talks in the next phrase about visions, right, these ecstatic visions. Uh, so this is probably how it worked for them. Uh, you, you, uh, you don't eat, you fast for a long, long time, you start getting delusional, you pass out, you have this ecstatic experience where you think you went to heaven, you think you worshiped with angels, you have all these visions of uh, your spectacular worship, right? Mostly because you're deprived of food and water and you're on the verge of death, right? And so you're hallucinating. And so they said, see, that's like... Like, that's what it's really at. If you were real Christians, you would have this experience like us, right? And one of the reasons Paul says he knows it's false is he says that the result of all this is not true humility, but that they're puffed up. Look at how spiritual I am. You were just only as spiritual as me, right? And they were puffed up and proud. And I'll guarantee you that if you've encountered the true and living God, if you've really gone to heaven and you've really stood in the presence of a holy, mighty, righteous God, you will not be proud. You'll be terrified, right? Throughout Scripture, every person who ever encountered the living God face to face fell on their face before God, right? In, in terror. Uh, Isaiah cries out, Woe is to me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. Um, when the Israelites just heard the voice of God, they didn't even see him, they just heard his voice, they, they, they pled with Moses, Moses, please, don't let God talk to us again. That was terrifying. Because we know we are sinful, sinful beings. Right? And we cannot stand in the presence of this holy God. Uh, had these people truly been encountering the true and living God in heaven, their spirit would have been very different. They would have been uh, terrified. They would have been true, truly humble. They would have been crying out, God, we are unworthy of you. But we know it was false because the result was, was puffed up pride. They thought they were cool and special. Right? Um, so so they're, the, the, but this is their, so I understand, this is their plan for spiritual growth. Denying yourself, following these extreme rules and regulations to the, to the nth degree. Uh, and lastly, it says in verse 20, uh, he says, If you died with, to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Uh, this is kind of a repeat of verse 16. He said, he said, you know, these people are trying to put you, squeeze you, into keeping all these rules and regulations. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. It's kind of summarizing uh, the laws and the commandments. Um, but again, is Paul saying that the Old Testament laws are bad? Well, of course, we, we talked about how they are fulfilled in Christ, so in a sense they're not bad or wrong, but they are at some level obsolete. So then is Paul saying... Well, then there are no laws for us, right? If we're in Christ, we have perfect liberty. We can do whatever we want. Um, this was the problem in Corinth. Okay, very different problem. The people in, in the Corinth had tossed out all the laws, 
And they were like having a, a very good old time. Uh, too merry and too good of an old time, right? And they were like, yeah, we can go to the temple and sleep with temple prostitutes. No problem. Because that's my liberty, my freedom in Christ. Right? God just loves me and he's forgiven all my sins so I can just sin all I want. And it's not a problem. Well, some people could take uh, that approach here and say, see, Paul is saying that. See, all these rules, all these laws are bad. Like, like if it feels good, do it. Right? You have freedom in Christ to do that. But that's not what Paul is saying here, actually. Uh, he's saying that the problem is that the rules they were concerned about are external and temporary. Rules about food, rules about dress, rules about... Washing, right? Rules about the Sabbath, right? They are uh, they are things that disappear with use, right? They're so temporary that when you eat it, it's gone, right? And he says, how can how can true spiritual growth and maturity be dependent on things that are so transient, so temporary, and so easily destroyed? So they're external. Another problem is he says that these are things that come about through human teaching and wisdom. Human teaching and, and regulations, actually. Right? Uh, these are human, man-made rules. And the problem was that it wasn't just the commands of the Old Testament that were a problem. Those were actually good. But here's what happened. The Jews, uh, Jewish people, and actually as part of human nature, we love rules. Now, we think we don't love rules, Right? Uh, but the problem is we don't, we, don't, we don't like rules that other people make. <laughs> but we love to make our own, right? I love when, when, when God uh, created the garden and put Adam and Eve in the middle of the garden. He told them, don't eat the, the fruit of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat it, right? Satan comes along and he says to Eve, you know, did God really say you can't eat any of the trees? And he said, she says, no, 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 no. We can eat of any of the trees, but we can't eat or touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? God gave them one rule, and and Eve automatically doubled it. (laughs) Made two, right? Don't eat and don't touch. God never said that, right? We like rules. And the Jewish people especially were were great at making rules. So a good example of this is is the law about Sabbath, right? God gave one rule. He said, uh, keep the Sabbath holy, But by the time the New Testament came around, the Jewish people had made over 40 different laws regulating the Sabbath. And so a lot of what what Paul is talking about here is not just the laws in the Old Testament, but the laws upon laws upon laws that they had invented, which were never God's purpose or intention. And the problem is that they thought that, that keeping these laws will make you spiritually mature. If you just keep all these rules, that will grow you. And then you will measure up. You will be a godly person. But but we see that really this becomes uh, the wrong measure or the wrong standard. Right? The way to measure up, they are saying, is to conform to the moral standard of Jewish practices at that time. Right? Uh, you need to fit the image of what a good person is based on these man-made standards and ideas. And the problem with these standards is that they were primarily external and outward. Right? If, if holiness was just a matter of eating the right 
you know, ordering the right thing off the menu, right? Um, but, but, like, not eating pork and only eating chicken doesn't really have anything to do with the character of your heart, does it? Right? Being a better person is not, uh, is not a matter of what we are outwardly. It is what we are in the heart, inside. Uh, and so Paul is not saying we don't need to be obedient to God. Uh, in fact, throughout the New Testament, it says, you know, be holy, for God, your God is holy. Right? We need to be holy. Uh, Jesus said in John 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? Obedience is part of the Christian life. Uh, in, in Matthew 28, Jesus said the goal of discipleship is to teach people to obey all that Jesus commands. Right? If we have a Christianity that is uh, running away from obedience, we, we're missing the point, right? But, but the problem is that uh, our, our obedience cannot be simply external, keeping external rules about what we eat or how we dress or what days we celebrate. Right? Those are external, temporary things that disappear. They disappear, right? Um, the measure that, that God uses measures us inwardly in our heart and in our character. That's what counts, right? Who we are as a person inwardly. And the, the truth is that you can keep all of these external rules and, and, as Paul shows, be proud, be puffed up, and be unloving. But God is looking for a person whose heart is like his, with holy character and loving people. Um, so if that's not bad, so they got the wrong goals, they have the wrong measure or standard, but worst of all is they have the wrong method. Uh, and this is really the, the real weakness of their whole system. The wrong method for how you make all this work. And what was their method? Well, Summarized uh, in, in verses 18, 20, and 23, says this they are insisting on asceticism. Remember, again, that's that idea of avoiding food, avoiding, avoiding sexual relations, avoiding everything, fasting, right? He says you insist on that. Verse 20, you sub, you're submitting to regulations, right? You're trying to follow these rules. 23, uh, these things have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. What was their method? Well, their method, in a word, was an extreme form of determination and self-discipline. Okay. Extreme forms of determination, effort, and self-discipline. Basically, they were saying, you will reach this goal, you'll be able to keep the rules by your hard work, your effort, and your strict self-discipline. And the Pharisees were the living examples of this, right? Uh, maybe you've heard stories about the different sects of Pharisees, but one of them were called the bruisers, right? The bruisers, right? And, and the reason they were called bruisers is because they would intentionally walk into walls, right? Now, why would they do that? Well, it was like this. A pretty girl would be walking by, and they would turn the other way until they smacked into a wall. <laughs> right? And they'd say, see... See, I did not look at the, I did not lust after a woman, right? I, I, I smashed into a wall instead. Well, good for you. Way to go, right? So uh, next Sunday, I hope to, I see a lot of you guys with bruises on your foreheads, right? So you're crashing into walls, right? Um, 
the idea was that I can do this. If I'm determined enough, if I'm diligent enough, if I'm willing to walk into walls to prove how obedient I am, through my strict self-discipline and self-control, I can achieve these goals. And if the goals are low enough, meaningless enough, you can, right? They, they did, actually. Now, again, we have to like, hit the, the, the button a minute and say, wait a minute, right, hold the bus. Is Paul saying here that we shouldn't be self-disciplined? Is Paul saying self-discipline and self-control are bad things? Um, uh, doesn't Paul actually say somewhere in the Bible, I buffet my body and make it my slave? so that I may not be disqualified after preaching to others, right? Uh, Didn't Paul tell Timothy that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of love and power and self-discipline, right? Doesn't Paul teach these things? Well, of course, Paul is not saying we should do do away with self-discipline. And it is actually a, a critical part of spiritual growth. Paul is not saying here the key to spiritual growth is to become super lazy, to sit on the couch, eat bonbons, watch movies, uh, you know, go through mindless TikTok videos um, uh, endlessly. Uh, no, there is a place for self-discipline, but the problem is there are two kinds of self-discipline. Or maybe I should say there's really two kinds of discipline. One kind is self-discipline, which originates in our flesh, right? Uh, Where we we get it done by our own determination and effort. The other kind of discipline is actually really not self-discipline, but it's Holy Spirit-inspired or Holy Spirit-motivated discipline. And this is the discipline which God produces in in us by his own spirit, Right? It is actually a fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Right? It's something that God produces in us, not something that we generate by our own determination and effort. And, and Paul's point here is that you cannot overcome the flesh with the flesh. Right? You cannot overcome the flesh by, by drumming up uh, the flesh to be more diligent. Um, and here, the, the, when he uses the word flesh, he, he means the, the weak, sinful nature, uh, our desire to save myself and to solve my own problems and meet, meet my own needs apart from God. That's the flesh. Right? My, my desire, my commitment, my, my effort to save myself and to fix all my problems apart from God. That's the flesh. Right, and he says here that Jesus actually uh, died to put to death that flesh. Right? Uh, he says, um, if with Christ you died to the principles of the world, you were crucified with Christ. In the previous passage we looked at, he talks about Jesus, we, we have died with Christ. Right? And through the circumcision of Christ, through his death on the cross, our old person, that old flesh has been put to death with him. Right? And the problem is uh, the flesh is completely ineffective in conquering the flesh. He says in verse 23, these things, these keeping of the rules, this determination, this extreme self-discipline are of no value, no value 
not even a little value, no value in stopping the indulgence of the desires of the flesh. Right? Here's why when we make resolutions, we don't make it past the second week of January. Because we're trying to do it in our own strength. I think to myself, I can lose weight. I can control what I eat. I'm going to do this. Right? And we do it for three whole days. Right? And then we fail. Right? Or worse, or worse, we actually succeed. We actually succeed. But in succeeding, we are only feeding the weakness of our own flesh. Right? Let me illustrate this uh, out of the world of Buddhism, because this is just really the most extreme example of it. A super devout Buddhist monk uh, goes off into the forest and uh, lives in a cave and lives a super extreme recluse life denying everything. No food, no drink, no sex, nothing bad. Uh, they eat whatever bugs just crawl along or whatever, uh, and, and they do, why do they do this, right? Well, they are trying to rid themselves of all desire. Right? They see desire, the, the cravings of the flesh, the longings of the flesh is, is the main problem of their life. And so they go up into the jungle and cut themselves off from everything, right, so that they can put away all desire, right? And, uh, and if they're really successful at that, they will wither away to skin and bone, and I don't know if you've seen stories of these guys that they found who supposedly haven't eaten for 100 years or whatever. And they've put away all desire, right? And they, they, they've conquered the flesh, right? No. They have actually become ultimately subjected to the flesh, right? They are controlled by the flesh. Here's why. Why do they go off into the jungle? And, and why do they seek to get rid of all desire? Well... It is because of desire that they seek to rid themselves of desire. It is the great desire to save themselves. It is their overwhelming desire to set themselves free from this world. It is the overwhelming desire to be set free from desire itself that drives them. See, their success is only proof that they are controlled by their desire. It happens to be a desire to not desire, but it's still desire. They have, they have tried to conquer the flesh by the flesh, but all they've done is made the flesh more and more powerful. Right? And it doesn't work. Right? Because here's the thing. As soon as they gave up the desire to be free of desire, they would walk out of the jungle and buy a great big huge plate of mooping and county out and pork out, so to speak. Right? Right? There would be no point in staying in there. The only point is their desire to not desire. Right? You see, it's, it's a hopeless pursuit. It is a hopeless pursuit. But the same thing is true, and we can say, well, uh, but the same thing is true for us when we try to overcome the flesh by the flesh. Right? When we try to grow spiritually through our own effort and self-discipline and determination. I'm going to pray every day this year for an hour. I can do this. I can get myself up at 5 in the morning. I'm grown up. I'm 60 years old. I can make this happen. Right? Uh, two things will happen. One, we'll do it for three days and we'll give up and we'll find out what a lazy bum we really are. And, and, and we'll be discouraged. 
We'll see, see, I'm just a failure, I'm just no good. Or we'll be successful, and we will prove how good I am. Right? I will show, see, I can get things done. I can get up at five in the morning. I can pray for an hour. I've got this. And see, all we have done is feed our flesh. Right? All we've done is prove to God how strong I am in myself. And, we, and, he, and so Paul says, these things are of no value in putting to death and stopping the indulgence, the feeding of the flesh. Okay, so, so the plan doesn't work. <clears throat> so what do we do? How do we fix it? Well, uh, real quickly, let me just give you a, a better plan. Paul's plan is three steps. Uh, and here's some, uh, the plan and real quickly some resolutions to go with it. Uh, first, you've got to hold fast to Jesus. Right? Uh, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on about visions puffed up without reason by his fleshly mind, by the way, sensuous fleshly mind. Verse 19, and not holding fast to the head. Okay, the problem with their method is they are not holding fast to Christ, the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints, grows with the growth that is from God. Here's the, here's the truth. You cannot grow yourself. I don't care if you pray 24 hours a day. I don't care if you memorize the whole Bible. I don't care if you are the most spiritually disciplined person on the planet. You and I cannot grow ourselves spiritually. All the best we can do is just fortify our flesh. God alone can grow you spiritually. And the way he does that is through the ministry of Christ who's the head. And the goal for us is to abide in Christ. So if you want to have a a New Year's resolution uh, for spiritual growth, it is to abide in Christ. Right, to the hold on to the truth of what is declared of Jesus in Scripture, to seek him every day, to resolve to dig into the word, not as an empty ritual, not to prove to God how, how cool you are, but because you are desperate to find Jesus and to know him and to meet with him and to learn from him. Resolve to pray. Again, not as a way to prove your spirituality, but as a way to cry out to God that you are weak and helpless. That's where prayer starts. God, I am desperate. I cannot do this. And I come to pray with the prayer of God, please help me, because I cannot do this. And I desperately need your help. I need your love. I need your strength. Um, Resolve to hold on to Jesus. Uh, He is our means of growth. And we will only grow spiritually to the extent that we are connected and abiding and rooted in Christ. Rooted in Him. Second thing, get connected with the body, the body of Christ, the church. He says, he says hold fast to Christ from whom the whole body grows a growth that is from God, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments. Right, so the picture is of the head connected to the body, and the body itself is connected together through its tendons and ligaments. Um, this growth is not a solo joint venture. 
a solo venture. It is a joint venture, not a solo. It is not a one-man show. It is not a Lone Ranger pursuit. Uh, look around you real quick. Look at the person next to you, behind you real quick. Did you know that your spiritual growth is connected with those people next to you? That's a scary thought. I don't know who's sitting next to you. but um, Your spiritual growth is limited by their spiritual growth and vice versa. Right? We need each other as the body of Christ. And the, the, the ligaments and tendons are the things that connect the parts of the body together. And he's saying here, look, we have to be connected as a body to grow spiritually. It comes through Jesus. It's from God. But it's experienced as we live life in community in the body of Christ. Right? So we need to resolve to get connected to the body. And here, you know, we talk about three E words, engage, uh, equip, and encourage. Right? We need to meet together and engage with, with one another so that we build the kind of relationships that are life-giving, spiritually imparting relationships. Right? Um, with people who will tell you the truth and hold you accountable and teach and guide you. Like, do you have friends in your life who actually will tell you the truth when you're being an idiot? <laughs> right? You're being an idiot. Right? Stop. Uh, you, we need those kind of relationships. Right? It takes humility on our part to receive and accept that. Right? We need to equip each other. We need to take seriously our responsibility to build each other up and teach each other and, and help each other and pray for each other. Uh, we need to encourage each other by praying for each other and loving and serving each other. Right? So, so resolve to get connected to the body. Uh, no more Lone Ranger Christians, right? Be part of the spiritual community, both the local church and the bigger church, right? Lastly, uh, stop living in the flesh. Most importantly, stop trying to grow yourself spiritually through your own efforts. Uh, true self-discipline comes from God, and he produces it in us. He grows us to be the people who have self-discipline and self-control. It must be the work of Christ in us. He says in verse 20, if, 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 if you died with Christ to these principles, these worldly ways, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to these things? Okay. Um, what does it mean to, to die to sin, to die in the flesh? Well, it means that we realize that our battle against the flesh is not trying to uh, dominate it through discipline. Right? The goal is not to deprive our flesh. The goal is to kill our flesh. Now, I don't mean actually kill our physical body. God will take care of that one day, but not, not till the end. Right? There will be a day when he will destroy this flesh. But your sinful desires are something that you can't overcome by discipline. They must be nailed to the cross of Christ. And Jesus has done that. Right? We participate with Jesus in his death, and by his death on the cross, our old person was crucified with him. But Paul says it is a daily challenge for us to bring those cravings and desires of the flesh to the cross and allow Jesus to re-crucify them over and over again every day. And I don't know about you, but when, when things die, the things around them no longer have influence on them. Right? Uh, there's no more connection. But I don't know about you, but for me, oftentimes the desires of the flesh still seem 
quite relevant, quite real. Uh, Those temptations to gratify those desires can still be there, right? Uh, but, But they actually are powerless. But they are powerless only if we turn away from them and leave them at the cross. The problem is that I, I want those things. Right? Uh, they really have no power, but, but we can turn to them if we want them. Right? Instead, we need to leave them at the cross and let Jesus kill those desires so that we no longer even, even desire them. So the last resolve is, is ultimately the resolve to be weak so that we can be strong in the power of God. Right? Resolve to be weak. Resolve to be helpless. Say, God, I can't do this. I need you to crucify the desires of my flesh with Christ on the cross. Daily, daily. And resolve then to live by the discipline and power that he alone can give. Let's let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that it's not up to us to grow ourselves, to be more disciplined, to conquer sin, to keep the rules. Ultimately, it's a work that you want to do in us, a work that you made possible through your death on the cross. And Lord, we admit that uh, even though we're not pressured by Judaism, we are all pressured by the, the world around us that's trying to squeeze us into its mold of how to be, of what to be like, of how to think. And the world has its own long list of rules and demands and expectations of what it means to be a good person. Lord, help us not to let the world criticize us or judge us because we don't live up to its standard. Um, Instead, Lord, help us to come to you and to seek the growth that comes through Christ alone. Lord, may we resolve this year to to draw near to Christ, to seek Christ every day, to trust in his work and his powerful grace in our life, to grow us, to mature us, to build us up into stronger, better, more Christ-honoring people and lives that are characterized by true godliness and true obedience, by love and by holiness and by godly character. Lord, we confess that we are weak. And we really are helpless to accomplish anything. And and when we accomplish even great things in our flesh, it's just proof that we're still living by the flesh and not by your spirit. Lord, help us be a people who live not in the flesh, not according to the flesh, but according to your spirit. Lord, may we grow this year in incredible ways because you are doing that work in us by your spirit, by your power, and through the precious blood of Jesus. Lord, help us even now to praise you in weakness, in dependence, in humility, and in true faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. 
For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.